to future is a verb, not a noun. And in a year like 2020, futuring has never been more important. That's at least according to Scott Smith, a futurist who has worked with companies like ASOS and Comcast, NGOs like the Red Crescent, and governments, including Abu Dhabi and at the Dubai Future Foundation. If futuring is something we can all do, all the time, what does that look like? And how can it help us in an apocal year? You are listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Kelsey Warner, Future Editor. And on the line is Scott Smith, Managing Partner of Changist, a future and strategic foresight practice based in The Hague in the Netherlands. He's also the author of the book out September 10th, How to Future, Leading and Sensemaking in an Age of Hyper Change. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. So I guess what we should get out of the way first is professional futurists don't predict for a living. It's it's not your fault that 2020 is happening in the way that it is. But yes. Okay. So you're not the weather forecasters of our future states. So if that's the case and we can't blame you, how would you describe what you do? I think the best best way to think about the work that that professional futurists do is that we help other people help organizations, businesses, governments, etc. Um, make sense of what they see and what they can't see uh, about p- possible futures. Um, we help them uh, surface and kind of bring to light the important information, help them make sense of that information, those signals of the future, things that could be happening, things that are emerging, uh, and help them uh, create enough, a coherent enough picture of a possible future that they can plan against that, strategize, innovate, whatever whatever they want to be able to do, you know, vis-a-vis a possible future. You write in your book that the future has never seemed more important to us. And you've been working at Changest for the last 15 years. And these days, it feels like the future is sort of all-encompassing. We're seeing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's being advertised. It's slogans on T-shirts. It's even, in some ways, the UAE's theme this year. We're looking to the next mm-hmm. 50 years. Uh where would you say this sort of future obsession is coming from? Was it did it exist fifteen years ago when changes started? It did exist. I, I always sort of describe the future as kind of being elastic. It, it, it sometimes it seems far away from us. Sometimes when we're in kind of a stable environment and we seem comfortable with what's happening around us, we feel like we have um, some lead time to think about it. Other times, like right now, it, we, as you say, it feels like we're in the middle of it. We're we're kind of deep in the fog of the future. Um, it some people think it's cyclical. I don't necessarily, but it's it definitely changes based on um, our kind of feeling about the the external environment. Um, now, you mentioned the UAE, and that's an interesting example because it, there are places in the world like the UAE, like Silicon Valley, like um, you know other kind of big. Uh, financial or business or technology centers where it feels more present all the time uh, because of a, a general culture of you know, future-leaning culture that's there. Uh, but other places, it, it, it can feel quite distant and far away. What is it about right now, though? I mean, is it really these the pandemic, climate change, hmm. these deep-seated, deep-rooted crises, issues? <laughs> is, it, is it existential? It, it, there are a lot of things happening at once. You know, we said, well, I, I wouldn't wish this moment to happen, but now that it's happened, this is sort of the book for the moment in the sense that um, we're in multiple 
um, multiple kind of crises, multiple challenges. There are big existential uncertainties around us. Um, you know, major, major transitions that are happening. You name the sector, um, you know, food, energy, uh, transportation, education, healthcare across the board. We're in this big moment of step change because of, because of technology, because of society changing and a lot of things. And um, a few years ago, I wrote a, a piece kind of describing moments like this as super density. It just feels like everything's happening all at once. Um, the, the science fiction author William Gibson has a phrase that a lot of futurists will trot out. You know, the, the future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed. Well, right now, it's all heavily clustered <laughs> in, one, in one place kind of right around us for, for many people in the world. And you talk in your book, I mean, the book really is kind of a map or a toolbox for how, how to future, how to actively engage in mapping out a future. Can you talk about what sort of tools you suggest or how to even, how to frame up, how to start? Yeah, I think, so the book was intended not to be a book of top trends because we have a lot of those. Uh, and not to be um, kind of overly complicated, but what we, you know, what we really strongly have believed for a long time is that um, dealing with the future is not just something that is for experts in the sense of, um, you know, professionals like myself or other, um, you know, people with advanced degrees in this field, which there are. Um, but it, it's something that you and I and, you know, us as people need to have some capacity to deal with because there's so much on our plate right now. Um, and so the book was written to kind of take the future where people are rather than asking them to come to the, to the complexity. And so we lay out not just a, a kind of um, a set of tools or a kind of broader process, if you will, that you can go through to, to um, you know, first kind of take in information and signals about the future and then process them but also to take you know, an even further step back and, and recognize that um, different organizations, different countries, different societies have different future cultures. And we kind of kind of back up that far first to understand that you and I may have different experiences of it. We may think about it differently. We may have different points of reference. Um, we have we may have different uh, kind of preferred futures, different um uh, ones that we, you know, are kind of fans of, you know, you may want different things to happen than I do, et cetera. So by stepping back and first recognizing those differences, then we can begin to kind of build forward and, um, you know, enable, for example, um, organizations to be better at sensing what's going on out there, uh, to have the right filters in place, to be able to take the information that they're overwhelmed with, parse it. Um, break it down into useful themes and useful insights um, to be able to take those insights and combine them in different ways that create different futures, different scenarios, different possible combinations of factors that could be ahead of us. And then to go you know, beyond that and use that, um, that kind of test future as a place to experiment and prototype if you, if that's what you want to be able to model your possible response or your anticipatory idea. Um, and you see a lot of that, for example, in the UAE, it was one of the first countries to really embrace this fairly new idea of experiential futures. And in, in other words, you kind of 
using it and modeling it and creating it, um, at least at a scale that you can test it and see if it's something you want. Is this good for us? Is this beneficial? Um, does this create well-being or remove traffic? <laughs> All of these sorts of things. And then at the very end of that, to be able to step back and say, was this a good approach? Would we repeat this? Should we make adjustments? Could, should we course correct in, our, in the way that we think about the future? And really, that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. And when you're trying to kind of corral all of these trends, the signals from the noise, all of this information about what is happening around me and what can it tell me about where we're headed, how do you, Scott Smith, decide what to pay attention to? What are you paying attention to these days? Wow, we're paying attention to a lot of things. Um, it definitely kind of stretches your your mental bandwidth, and there are definitely days when I have to sit down and kind of rub my eyes for a minute. But it, um, it th we're paying attention, I think, to I guess both the high and the low, and 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 by that I mean we're looking at a lot of individual signals of change on the ground where there is a an unexpected policy change, a new alliance. Um, a new technology that's emerging that we're only just finding out about, or a new capability, um, uh, a, an interesting new business model. All of these sorts of things are what we become kind of habituated and trained to be looking out for. You, you know when you see something new, and you may not know what it means yet, but that doesn't mean throw it away. We have a, you, Once you practice this over time, you begin to develop a sense of um, as you might in journalism, you know, that's an interesting fact. I want to follow that up and see where it goes. Um, those are the kind of ground level issues, but we also then step back and look at things from a very high level kind of macro trends. And some of the ones that we're really thinking about a lot right now are, um, there's a, we're calling it kind of internally the great disconnect. Uh, you're seeing a lot of the interconnection um, alliances, system building, globalization, the things that were happening for the past 20 or 30 years um, or longer, really kind of the post-war post -war agreement um, come unstitched. You're seeing uh, countries break out of alliances. You're seeing you know, political realignment. You're seeing um, economic uh, decoupling, um, you know, trade rearrangements. And this kind of goes all the way down to um, societal level as well of the, the types of groups that we affiliate ourselves with and the way that we associate our politics. For in some countries like the US, you know, the big parties really breaking apart into lots of small um, coalitions and configurations. So those kinds of big patterns are the types of things that we look at ongoing. We're also looking at things like, you know, AI, is it is it moving forward uh, full steam or are we reaching another kind of reassessment point? Um, we're looking a lot at identity and the way that uh, people are kind of labeling themselves and, and how we associate with each other. It's funny that you bring um, up. We'll, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it's, fun, it's funny that you bring up AI because I was actually struck in the book actually how little technology comes up. This is a really kind mm. of cerebral process or a process of reflection and writing and mm -hmm. iterating. And one of the lines that I liked was, you can risk bringing a post-it to a database fight if you don't understand the culture of an organization or a country you're trying to future in. And so I was thinking about this because our, our reliance on data these days is so big. And yet in sort of the process you describe, 
data is a component piece of it, but it's not necessarily the be all end all. So is AI or big data actually having a role in your job these days? It's, it's, that's a good question. It's having a role at the kind of low level, um, kind of filtering and production level. Um, someone asked me this question recently and I had to stop and think about where it comes into play. And it's, it's probably very small things. Um, like algorithms and social media that affect our um, kind of use of those as intelligence gathering platforms, as places to get information. Um, so the actual information that's being surfaced to you as relevant is yes, being determined and we also by an algorithm. To, correct. And we also try to lean against that because as good critical consumers of information, we are aware of it. And... Um, you know, you have to compensate for it because you want to make sure you're not just kind of driving into a filter bubble where you're only hearing one kind of information. And, and we talk about this in the book, the importance of getting many sources and kind of contrary sources to stress test your thinking. But it doesn't, we don't have, a, a, you know, a, an AI sitting here in the office where we're feeding, you know, signals and trends and waiting for something to come out the other side. And there's, you know, there's, there's some things that predictive analytics and big data can do. I don't think um, personally and professionally that it can do this job well enough to be useful in the long term. It can spot patterns in noise, but it may not know how to look for the right patterns. And one of the key pieces of this work is being able to find those oblique connections. When things start to take a left turn, the data might not indicate that yet. Um, in part because, you know, AI and analytics require on you having kind of foreknowledge of what you're looking for. You need to have a, you need, you need to be able to tell the, you know, the algorithm, so to speak, what to be spotting. And um, the best parts of this work, the most interesting parts are where the pattern breaks and something new evolves. And so being able to follow that and where the change is happening uh, and why it's happening and what the significance is of that is, I think, more critical than trying to just lean on technology to, to brute force our way through the work. So you recommend two ways of communicating results of future work, of being able to actually in a compelling way communicate to colleagues that novel breaking away that you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. One of them is through kind of concise scenarios and storytelling and another is through prototyping and this mm -hmm. idea of creating objects that we can actually interact with in a future state. So can you actually walk me through just a couple of examples of like what one could actually build to get somebody engaged with the idea of a future in their company, for example? Sure. It's, um, it can be quite simple. Um, sometimes it's like just basic prototyping or sketching in the sense of, and we used to do this um, quite often, for example, when we were teaching uh, futuring courses at so the Dubai Future Academy. Um, if you're working with, um, say, people from a particular entity and they have an idea, a scenario about the future, you might ask them to then, um, uh, you know, what kinds of, of um, forms or registration might be required for that new future thing that you're talking about? How might somebody pay for it? Um, what would a news story about that look like? What notice might you get in the mail um, to tell you that this thing is available? Um, so sometimes it's it's creating small, simple artifacts or objects um, or experiences or just situations that are things that are like what we experience today, um, but you're you're taking it a little bit further into the future 
to give people a kind of way of connecting their understanding of the world as it is now and their, and how that might link to this future. Um, more elaborately, you know, we've developed, um, you know, future biometric identity kits that give us a chance to kind of go through the experience of, um, this is one thing we did for the Red Cross, Red Crescent. Uh, when you, you know, in a future where you have uh, a company like an Amazon or a, uh, uh, who's, you know, in charge of managing uh, refugees in a crisis, which is something that is starting to happen now. Um, you know, what might their kind of identity kit look like where they're processing people through? Um, what might the implications of that be? How might people respond to somebody who's not the Red Cross doing this work? Um, for, so, so often it's just making an object that has a familiar look and feel to it to help us explore more deeply and kind of go through the motions. If you drive up, um, you know, Shigzayed and you see the big, beautiful Museum of the Future being built, uh, the, the sort of shiny oval object that's there above, uh, beside Emirates Towers, that's actually a container for many prototypes of many futures. Um, what you see inside there is not just, uh, it won't be just a museum, but it will be a place where bigger, more immersive experiences of potential futures will be installed so people can step inside and experience something bigger than a form or a, a box. And imagine the um, possibilities. And imagine the possibilities and and also, um, you know, think to themselves, what is my kind of visceral feeling about this? What do I want to know more about? Um, am I comfortable with that? Is this kind of how I want the city to look? Um, you know, or whatever you, whatever the topic is you're looking at. Is this how I think climate change is going to be dealt with, etc.? Scott Smith, managing partner of Changes and author of the book out September 10th, How to Future, Leading and Sense-Making in an Age of Hyperchange. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. That's it for today. If you like this show, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that remains is to thank Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.